White Sox fans, welcome to another edition of Future Sox pod slash stream. My name is Ian Eskridge. I'm here live with James Fox. How you doing, James? Hey, Ian. What's up, man? This is awesome. Bunch of stuff for, you know, a bunch of little things for White Sox, not really necessarily, uh, you know, important to operations per se. Uh, one signing that's, um, you know, some people are uh, up at arms about it, but what aren't people up at arms about at this point? Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. How are you? Yeah, no, I, I mean, John Brebia, right? Is that how you say his name? I yep. mean, it's just like, it's, it's fine. It's five and a half million dollars, 4 million this year. And then he gets the buyout or he either stays. I like, I don't mind those types of reliever signings, right? Like I've bemoaned all the ones in the past where you're giving $30 million to a setup guy or a seventh inning guy. Like if you just take a bunch of flyers like this, you're more likely to, you know, get your money's worth. And then who knows, like maybe this is a guy that you, you trade at the deadline. Right. So yeah, I, there's, you know, I, I don't really like think that there's bad one year deals, but on the other hand, like we're used to seeing, you know, Kenny Williams spend 30 million on five bad players instead of signing like one good one. So I, I do kind of understand like a little bit, like some of the frustration. Yeah, I mean, uh, I understand the the frustration that people have with the fact that uh, it's another reliever, and that seems like all the White Sox ever seem to sign is is relievers. Um, but uh, you know, he is coming from San Fran, and uh, what I like to call a uh, a Bob, a buddy of Bannister. Um, and like the thing the thing about him is is that you look at his numbers, and they're not they don't stand out too much you know he had a 399 era but what if if you look at his whip he had a 1.174 whip you know um with the white Sox trying to build their you know defense uh that is something that might translate well for him and it might end up being a a fairly decent signing plus we also know they're going to have plenty of innings to fill yeah, they are, and I think you know you see like he's he was listed as starting. He he never really started. He, I think they used him as an opener a ton, right? So yeah, look, I don't. Maybe the, it's something the White Sox are going to incorporate finally is like the the use of openers. I mean, I do think looking at their starting rotation, obviously Cease is still in it for now, right? But there's a bunch of guys who might not go six or seven innings every time, right? So like you could have a bullpen with quite a few like bulk guys or at least like that could be the plan so yeah i mean this is just it's another signing i think some of their nris like joe barlow that guy's probably going to be in the bullpen i would think right and then you know i heard um you know chris getz kind of talked about tim hill and how he kind of had like a, a cleanup he was hurt um and he's healthy, so I think they're expecting better things from him. So, yeah, I mean, just some low-cost flyers for veterans that have had some success in the past, and then, you know, you do still have some of your own guys who have been successful in the past, and Jimmy Lambert, Matt Foster, guys along those lines, you know, to the point where hopefully, you know, we're not seeing Jesse Schultons as much as, you know, we have, and some of your prospects, I mean, like Jordan Leisure, I think could be a big part of this thing. I just don't think he will be at the beginning. I think they're going to make all these guys earn their way onto this team for, for the first time in a while. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Um, you know, I think, you know, Jordan Leisure in the uh, Arizona Fall League pretty much looked unhittable. Um, I think he was, he had something like a strikeout rate, something around 50%, which is absolutely absurd. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem with them making 
these guys earn their way up to the major leagues. I mean, there should be nothing um, that's gifted. There should be nothing that should be assumed. You know, you want to see just because of pedigree. I don't care at this point. Let's make sure that these guys have what it takes to to make it up there. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's what it'll kind of be like. And I think there's there's lots of like interesting starters. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's like a whole bunch of pitchers that like I kind of want to see, even though that we're not really expecting the team to be that good, right? I mean, we we didn't talk much about the Rule Five pick, Shane Droan. Um, He's a starting pitcher. He's in their top thirty pretty much everywhere. But I mean, I think that guy's probably in the bullpen too. I would imagine. So I mean, it's, you know, I mean, if they want to keep a whole him anyway. big, a whole big pile of arms. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm perfectly fine with uh, just stacking up all the pitching that we can because we know that there's going to be, you know, I think the the average for a major league team was somewhere around eleven for a starting the the amount of starters that you'll need throughout a year and with. The club, the way it is right now, it's probably going to be more than that because you're going to see some failure here. So, oh yeah, for sure. Like there's definitely, I would, I mean, you know, there there's just like the whole big group of young guys, and then you have Michael Kopech, and you have the Garrett Crochet situation, and yeah, it's um, it's it's just you know, it's it's pretty interesting. I will say, like, for for as much fungible space as they had on their forty man roster, I think to start the season. I think it is getting a little tougher. Like if, if people are anticipating like a cease trade where, you know, it's three or four guys added to the 40 man, plus like a couple of big league signings, like there's really not that many expendable guys that you want to lose for nothing right now. I know like if I were to tweet that people would be like, ah, oh, who cares? Like get rid of whoever. Right. But I mean, even like your Lenin Sosa's and Romy Gonzalez's and those types of guys, like you don't want to just DFA and lose for nothing. So they do have to be a little bit strategic, I think, going forward. Yeah, I'm 100% on board with that. I mean, I, there there are still like a couple of names that you look on there and you're kind of like, why is that guy in the 40 man? But it, it's starting to get a heck of a lot more slim now. It's it's going to be more difficult to find guys to uh, just outright DFA to uh, bring guys onto the 40 man. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So I made a comment the other day, like, you know, they signed Brebbia, but they haven't announced it yet. And I'm, I'm on, I'm firmly on Alex Spee's watch right now. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, one of my buddies is like, no, he's got a really good arm. Keep him. I'm like, okay. Sure. Schultons. I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, cause they haven't really done the, like sign a pitcher, dump a position player thing. And if you look at the position player side, like there's really not that many more, you know, like expendable guys, unless, you know, you, you bite the bullet on Gavin sheets or something. He, cause he would be, you know, probably next for me. So, but I don't know. We'll see. Cause I look, I'm not, I am anticipating some more stuff. I mean, Chris gets mentioned, you know, they're looking in the outfield. I, I don't think they're right fielders on this roster. It could come via the cease trade, but it could be a Joey Gallo or, one of these guys that's just going to be forced to take a one-year deal eventually here, you know? And I know for a fact that the White Sox still have some sort of offer out for, like, one of your favorite players in uh, Whit Merrifield. So, you know, not that they'll get him. I just think that's, you know, I don't I don't love it either. But I short short way of me saying, like, I don't, I don't think they're done. So looking at the roster is a little bit interesting because, you know, you're talking about, getting rid of a player every time you add someone because you are right at 40. Yeah. Um, so Nick 
and Danny and myself, uh, we had a stream slash pod, actually just a, a podcast that we recorded the other night um, about the news coming out um, from some somebody. Not exactly sure who, like where where these sources are coming from, but the uh, the possibility of a proposed stadium at the 78 on the South Loop over there, over near uh, Roosevelt and Clark. Um, now, we didn't have you in there, so I kind of want to get your take on this, and uh, I want to kick it around a little bit with you. Um, how are you feeling about that uh, that location, uh, the possibility of a new stadium, um, the probability that there won't be enough parking there to have tailgating? Uh, wh- what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it does seem like tailgating is might be the collateral damage right for like this whole thing but all the other stuff that we've talked about for years right where you're you're walking down the the back steps or the the ramps and you're like wow why didn't why doesn't the stadium face this way right or you take somebody from out of town there for the first time and they're like wait i don't understand this right like i think that's like the that's the biggest thing that it fixes i think you know smaller stadium i don't think it's going to be like one of the retro parks you know that really have kind of gotten a bad rap like after you know what the last like 25 years or so people talk a lot about pnc that's my favorite park um i i think the biggest thing that people i guess should take away is like the white Sox want one of these ballpark villages and if you've been to cincinnati or st louis or atlanta or any of these places you know the cubs kind of do but you know like it's wrigley field right so like they these places have all this stuff to do, right? Like they have sports books and they have bars and restaurants and there's condos and the team owns lots of it in most of these cases. The White Sox want that. My interpretation is, and after talking to some people today, they don't think that's feasible even if they wanted to stay in Bridgeport. It's just not a thing like that. The residents in that area, there are some older residents and please feel free to like get in my DMs if this is false, right? But... (laughs) Like, it just seems like something like that is not going to get approved. Like, if you wanted to, you know, build a new stadium in the parking lots or something, like, across from where the current stadium is. So they are looking to move, and I think it's a really good location. You know, I don't know what they need to dig out from underneath the the ground or the parking structure or who's paying for it or any of that stuff. But, I mean, the way Bruce Levine talked this current this past weekend on 670 The Score, he kind of made it seem like th- this thing is very likely – to happen and that it could move quickly. And what's the name of the, the company that owns? it's like Midwest. Uh, yeah. Midwest. Whatever you got, or Yeah. So like you guys that, talked yeah. about this. Yeah. So, I mean, look like they really need to put something there. So I don't know how much Reinsdorf's going to be on the hook for him and him and Wirtz paid for the United center. Um, but look, that was like a hundred and that was way less. It was not in the billions, you know? So for all of Jerry Reinsdorf's shortcomings, um, he, he does know how to get real estate deals done. So I think this is, I think it's going to be a major story. I think it's going to be cool if it happens, you know, you're looking at 2020, like by the 2029 season probably. And it seems like a long time from now, but it's really not that far away. Yeah, no, that's four seasons from now, essentially. So, um, 24, 25, 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess I guess it would be five seasons from now. It would be five, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that's uh, it's coming up quick. You know, it's gonna come up quicker than certainly than you th- you think. You know, so 
for sure. And I look, I like guaranteed rate field. Like I, I live in New Lenox. Like I can get there super quick from the South suburbs. You know, I pull in, I drive a lot. You walk right up to the park. I like the cork and carry. Like I, you know, like I love that place, but I understand like the feasibility of it. And like, I've never lived North of the ballpark or just like in the Northern burbs. And I, it's, it's horrible supposedly. So like, I've never had that problem, but I understand. And look like Jerry Reinsdorf has like kind of a legacy to leave. Right. I mean, he's not a well-liked owner and he shouldn't be, I mean, 40 years of ownership. It's like six playoff appearances. Right. I mean, it's just not good enough and he hasn't been good as a baseball owner, but again, all these people are just essentially like billionaire landlords. Like they've made all of their money off real estate. So, you know, I, I'm pretty optimistic that, that this gets done actually, you know, I don't, I don't know what the finer details of that look like, but I, I don't think this is just like one of those stories, like Waukegan being interested in the bears or something far-fetched like that, that the sports radio shows are like forced to spend a segment on. I think this is, this is pretty realistic. And I think it'll, I think it'll be pretty cool. It'll be, you know, if they do it right, it could be what a lot of people have been asking for, for a long time. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, I mean, there are still going to be a, a bunch of hurdles for people to get over, but I think that moving, even moving it up that far, uh, you're putting it closer to uh, one of the main train stations in the city, and it's you know basically right across the street from another one. So uh, I mean, you're you're more or less at least eliminating uh, a bunch of the driving traffic, you know. Uh, and parking issues uh, by doing that, um, you know, I mean, it's, it, there, there's, you know, there, there are some logistics issues, but I don't think it's anything that's any worse than what people are dealing with right now. And it's not going to be any more costly than it is right now. You know, it's just that you might have to rely on public transportation as opposed to uh, personal. So, yeah. So I, and I don't know what the residents have like, currently been paying but bruce levine made some sort of he made a statement about like how taxpayers wouldn't be paying more than they're paying now so i don't know if that's like you know whatever people were paying for the first stadium agreement they're just going to keep paying that amount for like longer i don't really know but that's he he made it like a public statement that you know like i'm sure they're going to need public funding and i know that's like a taboo thing to talk about that we don't really need yeah. to get into but it, you know he he really made it sound like it wouldn't be this huge burden on the taxpayers which is good because i think that's everybody's first question it's like yeah great a new socks park y you pay for it right which yeah. i i completely understand and then one thing i wanted to another thing i just wanted to bring up quickly I don't think you guys got into it because I think it was Friday. What did you make of the comments? I think it's Nicole Lee. She's the the alderman, um, like currently in Sox Sox Parks District. Like she's mm -hmm. the Bridgeport alderman, yeah. And she kind of seemed like to me it was like, well, this is a fait accompli. Like I'd rather have them stay in the city, so like this is fine type of thing. It wasn't like a typical alderman pushback like i have to keep this team in bridgeport kind of thing it, I, I was taken a little bit aback i uh i've gotten the feeling from her uh from a couple of years now um i you know people had broached the subject before of kind of like building up the outside of the park and uh from what i from what i remember and i might be misremembering somebody 
feel free to correct me at some point, uh, but um, I seem to have the feeling that she was opposed to building up around the ballpark, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that she's like, okay, cool, now that's not going to be my headache anymore. Go ahead and get it out of here is kind of like probably how she's feeling about it. You know, despite the amount of revenue that it might uh, generate, I don't think that it's necessarily enough for her to worry about or it's one less thing for her to stress about, I guess. Uh, yeah, you would think, though, that, like, if the team's not there, right? Like, they've mentioned the Chicago Fire or whatever, something, yeah. right? But, like, all that parking lot space could be used for something, right? So that has to kind of be on their mind, you would think. Like, you're not just going to have, like, all these empty parking lots sitting there, which is one of the pushbacks about the, the 78 location. I mean, you're going to have to have a parking structure that's super high for people to park in because there's just not, it's not going to be like it currently is because there's really not enough space for that. So, yeah. you know, going to be a lot of people partying on the train together, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so uh, this week, um, I guess we'll go ahead and get into uh, the actual White Sox news um, and get to the um, player development side of things. Um, the White Sox just released their 2024 player development team, and uh, there's quite a few changes. Uh, not anything super huge, but I mean there are there are definitely some uh, some interesting changes. Um, I'll just go ahead and uh, kick the ball to you, and uh, guess let you start here. Uh, what's the most intriguing thing for you? Yeah, so I mean, I don't know about necessarily like intriguing. I want to hear Alan Zinter, so he's the new hitting coordinator. Um, you know, we had Andy Barquette on a couple times. I know you've talked to Andy in the past. You know, I really kind of liked the message that that he was preaching. So, you know, I hope it's not a ton different. You know, I was I was kind of hoping that the White Sox were going to have somebody come in on the hitting side that was like you're hitting Brian Bannister, um, and they didn't really do that. They have a traditional hitting coach. Um, on the big league team. And then they have Alan Zinter, who's, you know, had some big league experience and it, you know, it seems mostly an old school hitting type approach, but you know, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I, I've kind of liked the things that Marcus Timms has had to say. Um, if you ignore like all the little slap and dash guys that we've acquired, you know, I do like what he's preached in other spots. Um, so that's interesting to me. Like, I'd like to hear him speak. I'd like to talk to him and just kind of see. And then, you know, there are hitting coaches, like, throughout the organization. So that was a big change. Matt Zaleski moves into the pitching coordinator role that Efford Tiford vacated. So that seems pretty similar, like, on the pitching side. But I guess, like, I don't really care that much, like, as long as, like, Brian Bannister, I think, is running the pitching department, essentially. And then, you know, Ethan Katz has a lot of say with the big league team. Like once we get around to draft time and like Ethan Katz watches draft prospects and he has a say in any pitcher that comes in. So I kind of feel like that's a two headed monster and Matt Zaleski and, you know, like all the, the guys underneath him, Donnie Veal and, and others are probably just kind of falling in line under Bannister there. Um, so, you know, there, I know there were some interesting departures that, that you might want to get into. I think Sergio Santos is interesting. Former White Sox closer, was managing in the Mets organization. He's rejoined uh, the White Sox in this coaching capacity. He will be the manager at Double A Birmingham. Um, 
And then other than that, like some of the, you know, I think some of the lower levels, it, it seemed like kind of stayed the same, which yeah. I was a little bit surprised about, but I was you know, as well. and then, and then there's help, help for Justin Gershley in Charlotte with the, the veteran Pat Listash, um, and a new pitching coach with a, with extensive experience in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, a local guy, RC Lichtenstein. Uh, from UIC, he pitched at UIC. Was uh, the started his career at UIC as a as the pitching coach there, and uh, has all worked with the you know Brewers and Devil Rays, as you said. So uh, it's interesting, you know. Um, you know, I think that uh, with the fact that the the way that they restructured their uh, uh, pitching coordinators for the minor leagues with uh, Zaleski taking over and kind of keeping the same, uh, well, keeping one of the assistants and then bringing on. Uh, you know, the bullpen coach from Chicago, you know, to also be a pitching coordinator now. Um, yeah, I'm kind of interested in it. Um, I mean, obviously you've got Bannister running the whole show, so I'm kind of curious to see um, if anything kind of changes or if it's just kind of status quo. I mean, obviously the roster in Charlotte is going to be a little bit more complete, so I don't think that it's necessarily, you know uh, – going to I mean it, it can't look like it has the last couple of years just simply because the amount of depth that they should have even if it's just guys that are getting ready to go back to Chicago for an injury or whatever yeah I don't think they're going to have the issue with having two starting pitchers on your roster in Charlotte this year just no. because I mean it is one thing like they have amassed quite a bit of depth now are any of the guys going to be big league number three or number four starters like for the long term I don't know hopefully right that's like, if you have 10 pitching prospects, hopefully you end up with two, I think is the old adage, right? But at least you have players that can start for you. And, you know, we'll get into the whole conversation on this show about what we should take away from the numbers at Charlotte, because, you know, that place is brutal, um, at least, you know, for the for the pitchers. So, you know, and hopefully, you know, Lichtenstein, um, you know, has a lot of experience. It'll be a different voice than what some of those guys were dealing with, but it is going to be... Just quite a different roster. You know, one other thing that I noticed, traditional bench coach at each level. It hasn't been that way um, for a while, right? So I wonder, like, Chris Getz was running the minor leagues. Like, is that, like, a, is this, you know, like a Paul Yanish decision? Is it, you know, something that Josh Barfield kind of told Chris Getz, hey, you need bench coaches? Did Chris Getz always want bench coaches? And Kenny and Rick didn't or didn't care like that you know stuff like that is is interesting to me um because you know they've always just kind of had like some guy that was like helping with the hitting was also doing like bench coach responsibilities for years and it's been a little bit different than how other teams have handled their minor league teams yeah uh that should be interesting I'll also since you brought up uh rick and kenny i would like to make uh one uh, thing that I saw on that uh, list compared to last year, there is no KW Jr. on the list any longer, and uh, that that saga is uh, apparently now over. It seems so. like it. He's on the website still. So you know, I don't know if me and Mike talked about this on the show. Did did I talk about this on the show? So I like I had heard, I had heard last year that he like vacated that assistant role like midway through the year. And he was mm -hmm. basically just like Ken Williams assistant essentially. Yeah. So I don't know if that is like this conspiracy theory that like Chris gets fired him and like that, you know, whatever good, whatever, fine. Um, but yeah, like I, I think whenever 
they get around to updating the team website. Um, I don't expect Kenny Williams Jr.'s name to be on it anywhere. So that's uh, you know. So there is there is no assistant director of player development right now. Paul Paul Janish comes over from Rice University. I don't really know much about him other than you know he's he's another you know big league infielder that spent a lot of time in the majors. I think he kind of knows what it takes to get there, but he also understands some struggles very similarly to Josh Barfield and Chris Getz. I think a lot of these guys uh, are very similar in that regard. He was on with Bruce Levine and David Hall this past weekend. Didn't say anything too, you know, too crazy. Sounded, sounded like a, like a PD director. So, you know, we'll see, you know, it's just one of those things like, you know, I'm curious to see if there's anything noteworthy that's, that's different. I will say one, one thing I've heard under Chris Getz so far, he has program heads and he lets the program heads do their jobs. It wasn't always that way. Right. So, you know, we'll talk a lot about Chris Getz and whether or not he was the right hire. And, you know, I I think both of us wanted them to go outside, but that doesn't mean that Chris Getz can't be good at this. And I think I, you know, that that's going to be like a common theme for me and I knew I do know that lots of people in that organization, players included, are happy that it's a former player in charge. Does it have to be? No, I don't think it's a requirement for the job. But there are a lot of people who feel like their their needs have been met or at least listened to because there's somebody up in that chair that like understands what they've gone through or what they're going through. Yeah, I you know I if. I will throw this out there for uh, for the listeners. If you have not, uh, and you are curious about uh, Paul Janish, and you want to see kind of like uh, you know like his ideas on things and kind of how personality wise he is, uh, he did have his own podcast um, for a while uh, on the Reds, and uh, it's kind of you know it's a it's an interesting listen and uh, you know hearing things that they you know that they talked about on that side of things. I thought that was a uh, a fairly entertaining uh, you know kind of look into uh, Major League Baseball. You know even if it is from you know a couple of guys that didn't have a huge amount of uh, service time and whatever, but um, it was it was fairly good. Yeah. Also something else I'd like to point out is uh, you know a lot of people as soon as I posted news about Paul Yanish getting hired, they they looked at his record at Rice. And um, a lot of people freaked out saying, oh, his record over there is terrible. Uh, you know, one thing that you kind of have to look at is that it, his record, if you look at what happened at Rice right when he got hired, was because a long, long time Hall of Fame college baseball coach was kind of forced out of Rice. And so all of the people that were committed to go to Rice – massive clean out of a bunch of their top, you know, recruits. So he was kind of left with uh less than talent, you know, forced to try and win with that. So yeah. I will say too Paul Yanish was like I think he's one of the only guys where there wasn't like a tie right away, right? You're like, "Well, how do they know? How does Chris Getz know Paul Yanish?" and you're searching Wikipedia and you're like, "Well, I don't think they ever cross paths." You know, Paul Yanish said that, you know, they had played against each other a bunch of times and like struck up a relationship and yep. whatever. Like, and I know that Josh Barfield had kind of, I think, tried to hire Paul Yanish a couple of times with the Diamondbacks, but, you know, wasn't necessarily in a in a hiring role with the Diamondbacks. And, and now he is. He's the number two in charge of the Chicago White Sox. So 
he's here. They think he's going to do a good job, and, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm sure we'll talk about him quite a bit on the Future Sox podcast. Yeah. Um, all right, so seems like a good as time as any. Um, this Talk week, about some players? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, this week, the uh, Baseball America came out with their top 30, and um, we should discuss that because there's a, a bunch of little interesting uh, things going on here. Um, do you want me to bring it up on the screen? Yeah, you I think you do could it that flash way? it for any, anybody that's paying attention yeah. that wants to go back and watch later. Right, I will say it's the... It's the prospect handbook. It's a lot of new players. Um, you know, in the Baseball America handbook, they have the White Sox listed as the 18th overall system. Sounds about right. It's the back half of the back end of the middle, I think, yeah. middle of the pack. They could make a Dylan Cease trade and, you know, move closer to 10, kind of. That's how close some of these things are. But they're definitely not at the bottom because when you have two top 40-ish prospects in baseball and one of them's firmly top 15, you know, things start to look a lot better. And look, there are some guys with upside. I mean, like Nick Nostrini can be pretty good and some of these other guys at the top. So there is the top 10. Um, Colson Montgomery, Noah Schultz on the top of that list. Uh, let's run through that. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be on the top of, of most lists, right? I mean, those guys are, I think, both going to be pretty consensus, like top 40-ish prospects in baseball. Um, Colson Montgomery... Keep, keeps rising. I think he'll be top 10 by midseason once some of these guys graduate. And, you know, I think Edgar Caro bumped down to five for Baseball America. I think, you know, who knows, three, four, five, him and Nick Nestrini and Brian Ramos. I think all these guys are going to be right in that range. It, it's not really that important who's where, but I, but I think that's kind of, you know, kind of how that goes. Jake Eater, like I'm a fan of, he, he actually has to show results at some point though. It's a great arm, but mm -hmm. you know, I know they were working on some stuff with him mechanically. He could really take off and be like a number three starter, or he could like be in the bullpen or be nothing, you know? So it's just the gamble that you make there. And then, you know, I, I think the rest is, is pretty straightforward. Mena, Pallet, Cannon. I think those guys are right in range toward the back end. And, you know, one thing I'll mention, Baseball America has, the White Sox has the 18th overall system. I think right there, like, back end of the middle of the pack sounds about right. They could move up a little bit more if they trade Dylan Cease. But, you know, a lot better than what it was at this time last year where they were a, a back third farm system, I would say. Any uh, any major takeaways for you just, like, in the top 10? I, I know I have them in the teens, but you can go first just if, if you noticed that anything that, you know, kind of you raised your eyes, eyebrows at or anything? You know, um, about the only thing that uh, I kind of have questions on, uh, I feel like every single one of those guys belongs up in that area. Um, the only one that I have questions on is Jacob Gonzalez, um, simply because, you know, when we saw him last year, he was probably gassed. Um you know, after a very, very long time, you know, uh, Team USA, college season, back to Team USA and draft prep, and then rookie ball, and then in Kannapolis. So, you know, I yeah. I still don't think that we've seen what he is yet. I, I don't feel that, uh, you know, the results that happen in Kannapolis are a fair uh, assessment of what he is. So I, I, I'm waiting to get eyes on him again this year. That's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, and... I, yeah, I think that's fair. And look, I, I never really look too far into the draft year stats of college guys, especially. He did get on base 
Um, he, did. he didn't impact the baseball, which is an issue. And if you've seen the swing, like the, the swing is kind of rough. Um, and he hit a lot of homers with aluminum bats in college. And like, is he going to be the 20 homer infielder? I, I, I don't know. Right. So like, I think the big thing for him is like, there's some defensive questions because of his speed, but like, if he's a shortstop, he's a prospect. Um, yeah. he hits left-handed, he's going to get on base and we'll see, right? Like if that guy has to move to second or third, specifically third, I mean, the bat's going to have to play a little bit better. So look, I don't think Jacob Gonzalez is the lost cause that everybody else thinks he is. It's not the pick that I would have made. Um, but he's also, you know, I, I've seen some comments that he's, you know, like a total bust already. I mean, you just, it's just way too early to think about that. I, I'm curious to see whether they start him at Canapolis or Winston though, but you know, we'll have those conversations. Um, one, one question though. Um, were you surprised? I, I know that you said that, uh, you know, you mentioned that Carroll dropped down to five. Um, obviously that's cause Ramos kind of slipped in there. Um, and you thought that Edgar Carroll would be top 100 possibly. So do you think that that by, by de facto that Ramos will also be up in that area? Or do you think that Kara will jump him into the top 100 and Ramos won't be up there? Well, so for Baseball America, like they, I think they wrote something after with 15 just missed and Brian Ramos and Nick Nostrini were both on it. So yeah, they, they firmly have Caro at five. I think Caro might be on um, the list at Pipeline. I think when I do my personal list, I'd keep him three. You know, I don't really want to penalize him for what the angels did, like moving him to double a as a 20 year old, because that's what Artie Moreno does. And yeah. look, it, it is a big, at least 150 point OPS drop. You know, I think, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, he was playing in double a as a 20 year old last year. It seems like he's going to stay behind the plate. He's a switch hitter. So, you know, I, I think any, I, I wouldn't argue with any of those guys three, four, five. If you wanted Jake Eater three, I wouldn't really quibble with that either. So yeah, that's, uh, seems pretty, pretty okay with me. And then obviously like 11 through 20, you know, the thing I guess that I noticed right away was George Wolkow at 12. You know, I thought right away, like, Ooh, that's a little bit high, but like then thinking about it, he is probably the highest upside position player in the system. That's not one of those top guys. So that, that makes some sense to me the other way. Um, Sean Burke, I was a little surprised up at 13. I wouldn't be surprised if some outlets have him in the twenties, just cause of some of the injuries and the reliever risk and just issues there. I don't, I don't know how he is health wise. And then Grant Taylor, Grant Taylor. I'm a big fan. Um, you know, it was a second round pick. It, it was slot value in the second round, but I mean, last year on the KP looked like a potential top 20, top 25 pick. You know, there were people that referenced him kind of going toe-to-toe with Paul Skeens. Not that he's as good as Paul Skeens, but, you know, if you saw him on back-to-back nights with LSU, you know, this was another guy that looked like a clear first-rounder. He had Tommy John, didn't pitch last year. So I'm very curious to see how they handle um, Grant Taylor, how quickly he can pitch, where they put him, how many innings he gets, things like that. Probably very similar to how Peyton Paulette was handled last year. Yeah. And I mean like the, uh, you know, the, the similarities between uh, you know, I'm hoping for uh, similarities with Grant Taylor for uh, Tanner McDougal 
as well, where, you know, he got some decent amount of innings in this year and hoping that that's kind of the path that uh, Grant Taylor can follow as well. Same with uh, Paulette as well. You know, right after TJ, get him back out there. Hopefully he gets, you know, like a decent amount of innings in. Even if, um, you know, like you saw with Tanner McDougal, uh, like kind of in the midseason, you saw him kind of have a dead arm period for a little while where he was, uh, you know, kind of gassed and and things weren't coming along as as well as you were hoping. But then on his last uh, outing of the year, he just absolutely shoved and uh, – It'd be nice yeah. to see, you know, uh, Grant Taylor come out and show some of that nasty stuff. So Tanner McDougal's a large person. He is. <laughs> he is a big boy, and he, you know, pretty good. And you hear all the reports, and, you know, I know some guys that knew him out in Vegas, and they were, you know, very, like, happy that he turned pro and, and got the money. He, he's he's interesting. I I think we could see Tanner McDougal at double-A, I think. You know, another, like, interesting one on this list, just Jordan Leisure. What do you... What do you think, Ian, about ranking relievers? I've always kind of debated this with, you know, my colleagues here at Future Sox. Um, I just, I don't really rank relievers unless there's, like, high leverage upside. And Jordan Leisure definitely has that. Um, so I don't mind him, like, middle of the pack here. But I definitely understand if you said, oh, he's a reliever, he should be in the 20s type thing, just because of the value proposition, right? Like, I think he's a no-doubt big leaguer. Um, but they fizzle out fast and, you know, relievers are just very fickle. Yeah. You know, I, I kinda, I see it from both sides here. Um, but I do think that because there is, um, you know, closer potential there that there's a, that that's a, a good reason why you could see him. Uh, you know, in that middle of the pack and not uh, towards the back end. Um, I think that if you don't see, um, you know, if he does make a major league debut, you know, shortly, which I think I, I kind of think he will, um, as long as he stays up there, we won't have to worry about this again. Um, but, uh, you know, if he does come back to the, uh, back to the minors at any point, I could see him dropping out entirely because he'll be a year older by the time it goes for, you know, like a major re-rank. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, like, personally, I don't mind uh, when it, when a reliever has very high upside and uh, looks like he's going to be very useful in a major league bullpen. Um, I'm perfectly fine with ranking him, uh, but I probably, you know, like you said, I, I wouldn't go, like, top 10 with it yeah. just because of the, uh, the, the minimal amount of uh, usage that you're going to get regardless of whether – you know, he's great or not. It's, you know, unless it's, uh, you know, Josh Hader coming out, um, you know, I could see why you would hold off on yeah. like, trying to give him a major, you know, major ranking. Uh, so let's go ahead and move to uh, 21 through 30. And I think this is where there's going to be some, uh, some thoughts on uh, major – re-ranking of sorts or wanting to anyway yeah so so two that are super interesting for me one that i expected one that i wasn't sure on so javier mogollon um hit 10 homers in the dsl this year out of venezuela he's gonna rank everywhere from from what i've kind of gathered he'll be on the pipeline list he'll be definitely will be on ours um he was their best performer in their their international class last year and he only signed for 75k i mean he's a you know a smaller 
probably second base profile, but he can really hit. And, you know, it looks like they, they have a 50, a potential 50 on him. So that's interesting. And then Matthias Lacombe. So, you know, I know people have heard me talk about the draft in the past, right? Matthias Lacombe's a 12th rounder, but Matthias Lacombe signed for $450,000 in round 12, which probably made him their fifth or sixth highest bonus. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting guy. I mean, he's he's from France. He's pitched a lot in relief, but they see him as a starter. Very curious to see just like how quickly he can move through the system, you know, where they start him, how many innings he can throw, same type of thing, but really interesting arm and having him kind of ranked before he's done much. Um I I like the the aggression with that. Um but usually you know, signing for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars on day three is is usually, you know, a sign that that they think highly of a guy. Yeah, I'm kind of curious on that one. Um, trying to remember if it was him or uh, Christian Upper that didn't uh, pitch in Arizona. Do you remember which one it was? Oh, uh, it was Lacombe. So Upper Upper pitched, and he okay. looked really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. In sh- in short outings, I mean, he would come in and punch out three guys, and Upper's nasty from the left side. But there are some reliever questions. You know, the the repertoire's not super developed, but he's a super athletic former basketball player, um, Wisconsin kid, um, you know, that ended up going to to junior college for a year. I mean, it's pretty funny. Like, this is like a refresher now, but apparently the White Sox were, were going to take him in the 11th round two years ago. They had a deal to take him, and then the A's took him, and they didn't sign him, which is very strange. Um, and then the White Sox ended up with, with Jacob Burke, who's also on the list. So that, that was a kind of an interesting Jim Callis story on the day of last year's draft. Yeah. And you know, I'm happy that we got Jacob Burke too. So, uh, all right. So I'm, I'm going to kind of, you know, we, we had a, a quick talk about this, uh, pre-stream. I want to go ahead and bring this up and, uh, bring this up for everybody else. Uh, Braden Shoemake is at 26 and, um, Basically, since he was in uh, high A, I haven't seen anything him from him offensively. Obviously, the glove is very good, um, but offensively, um, we haven't seen a whole lot for him. And he's, uh, I believe, he's 26 years old, and uh, they slotted him in at 26. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, look, I wrote down my 30. I'm not going to release it yet, but he was not on mine. I just, I don't know. Like, I don't really get it. He's on the 40 man. I mean, he, there's pedigree obviously. Cause he was, he was a first rounder and you know, the Braves have done a pretty good job drafting college position players, but he just hasn't hit right. Like, is he a big leaguer? Probably. Right. But he's not, I don't think he's a big league regular. So, I mean, if you think that it's a definite utility guy, I think that it's tough to rank definite utility guys in the middle of the pack system. Right. I mean, you know, you when when the book comes out and some of these other places and Kansas City and the Angels and the Astros are, you know, your your worst systems in baseball. Like I kind of feel like a Braden Shoemake probably ranks in those systems at at but around twenty six, probably. <laughs> yeah, like for all of the White Sox shortcomings, um, I just I think the system's a little bit better than this right now to the point where I I didn't really expect to see his name. Yeah, I I kind of felt the same. Um, and if you look at the uh, the the Baseball America, if you look at the 
depth chart from them. Uh, one guy that was one slot lower than uh, Schweitzer on that was Mason Adams. And if I if I had my way, I would absolutely include him in the top 30, and I would definitely remove Shoemake at least um, to, to make space for him. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. But, I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, we're going to go ahead and uh, do our – our own top 30 and everything here coming up in the future. So see how that goes. Yeah. And one thing we're going to do, so we can preview that a little bit. Um, so one thing I can say here, like, I, look, I'm planning on the first week in March for, for our top 30 and our, you know, our just missed and things along those lines. We got a lot of people voting this year. We will release individual top thirties um, for Patreon subscribers. So that's, you know, one thing that's always kind of interesting and what we've done in the past here, like I've used kind of a prospect point system similar to MLB pipeline, right? So if you think about six of us rank, if all, if all of us have Colson Montgomery at one, he gets 30 prospect points um, from each of us. So it kind of goes like that. And then, you know, we can tweak the list if we think somebody belongs somewhere else, but that's the gist of uh, kind of how we do it. So yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see, how some of this goes and look, I kind of, I came up with, with 50 names that are at least interesting. So we should have 20 just missed as well. So, you know, there, there's been the past couple of years, it was really tough to get to 40, 42, 43 names sometimes. Yeah. I, I feel that I could definitely come up with a, a good 45 at least. So yeah, looking forward to that. Should be a good time. Um, you can find that information uh, when it does come out, you can find it on futuresocks.net, which is where you can find all of our written content. Uh, you can find this podcast. You can also find this podcast on any of your favorite uh, podcast purveyors. Um, at Daily White Sox, my name is Ian Eskridge. Uh, James Fox at James Fox 917 um, We will be back again on Sunday next week. Uh, we're trying to keep this time slot all the time. So uh, look out for us there. Uh, you can find this stream on YouTube and uh, also up on uh, our Twitch videos sp- uh, spot. Um, thank you so much for uh, coming in and hanging out tonight and listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And uh, we will catch you guys next week. Thank you very much. Have a great night.